Hi, my name is Sergeant Vucetic, and today I have a treat. I'm talking to Rita Abramson and Michael Williams, who are my colleagues at GISPIA here at University of Ottawa. Uh, Rita is also my directrice at the Center for International Policy Studies. SIP's blog is a must-read for you in this class and all other classes. Hi, Rita. Hi, Michael. How are you doing? Very well. Good morning, Sergeant. Hi, Sergeant. How are you? Thanks doing for having us. Thank you. Thank you for your time. Really appreciate it. I want to talk to you about our Global Right Project and about your individual research projects within. But let us start with the piece uh, Confronting International Political Sociology of the New Right. This is a collective discussion that just appeared in International Political Sociology. It's uh, something we did with Alexander Getschu, who is a professor at our school at the University of Ottawa and also uh, uh, by Jean-François Drolet, who's at Queen Mary, and Karen Narita, who's also at Queen Mary. What would you say, and maybe Rita can go first or, or whoever, uh, is the main take-home point of this piece, especially for people who are not paying close attention to what's going on in the world? Before I answer the question directly, I'd like to say also that, you know, it's one of the things that's interesting about this piece is that it is truly a collective writing effort. So it's written by six Oh, one, two, three, four, five, six people. And, and it's written by six people trying to catch a moving target because talking about the new right globally is very difficult because things are happening so quickly, things are changing so quickly, and they're changing in many different countries at the same time. So trying to write this piece was an interesting project in and of itself. I think one of the main take-homes is that we need to take the new right seriously. There is a temptation amongst academic, amongst journalists, amongst students, and a broad range of people that the new right are just a bunch of thick heads that uh, if we just wait a bit, they will go away. What we're trying to say that that is wishful thinking, and it's possibly dangerous thinking because they are, not all of them smart, but some of them are, and they have actually a theoretical and an intellectual and a political foundation to what they are arguing. Not all of them, but sufficient amount of them. And we need to understand this intellectual foundation of the new right in its various articulations in different countries if we are going to confront it, hence confronting the international political sociology of the new right. And I, I think I would add to that that one of the tricky things about understanding the new right is that it is explicitly nationalist. Right? It, it is very, very much centered in nation states and a desire to recover the power of nation states. But it, it is totally connected to the global. That is, you can't understand its own positions without understanding the way it defines itself against the global or in relation to the global. And you also can't understand it without understanding the ways in which it connects to other movements like itself. That is, that there is what some people call a, a nationalist international here, or an international nationalism here, that links these things together even as they try to pull apart back into strongly sovereign nation states. Yeah, this is this is great. I mean, obviously, I, I agree. This is a grave mistake uh, to not take uh, the far right uh, seriously. The textbook I'm using uh, in, in the U.S. foreign policy class makes a very similar point. 
Um, so the argument we make uh, is that uh, we should we should be looking at the international dimension uh, to these nationalist and so-called populist movements. They are often linked. They adopt analogous political discourses, and they frequently share a similar similar worldview. So we're going from the U.S. to Europe to Brazil to India to South Africa. So speaking of South Africa, Rita, your work in the project concentrates uh, on the continent in general, uh, ranging from uh, the role played by some Afrikaner communities in the global far-right imaginaries to Pan-Africanism, right? How did you get interested in, in, in this in the first place? Well, it's, it's quite counterintuitive to talk about Africa and, and the far right or the new right for, for most people. I think we tend to think about Africa as, as uh, very distant from these type of movements. Of course, South Africa has long had a strong right-wing foundation. And what we've seen in recent years with the rise of the new right in other parts of the world is that this has also given new life to the right in South Africa, that is to a small minority of Africana right-wing groups. And they have drawn strength from the rise of the right in the US and in Europe. And the new right in the US and in various European countries and in Canada are in turn drawing strength from pointing to South Africa and pointing to what happens to uh, to a white minority surrounding, but surrounded by what they perceive as a, as a civilizational other. This then becomes a kind of dystopia for uh, Europe's future. And, and that's what links it into this critique of globalization that so many right-wing groups have in, in the US and in Europe. Yes, this is great. So there's an identity or identitarian dimension to it. And, and I'm sure the students will appreciate uh, looking at that in the piece. And in your piece, you have uh, one that just came out in Review of International Studies called Contending Visions of World Order in Pan-Africanism, Internationalist, Sovereignist, uh, and Nativist. That also kind of brings in uh, some of these, I guess, uh, uh, discourses as well. Uh, maybe you can just say a couple of words about that piece. Obviously, it's not directly related uh, to to uh, to what you just said, but there is there is a connection. There is a connection uh, uh, when we come to the, the visions of world order and Pan Africanism that are nativist. That is, um, many people would say that this is the old order, the old visions within Pan Africanism that seeks to link world order in, in particularities and in traditions. But there are elements of this vision of world order and Pan-Africanism that is still alive today. And where it links to the new right is in this identitarian, nativist belief in traditions and in nationalism, and that the world should be ordered according to particularities, according to identities. And, and at that point, the Pan-African arguments in this particular branch of Pan-Africanism links to, to what we are also doing when we're talking about uh, the transnational dimensions of the new right. And maybe Michael wants to say something about those
to think of anti-globalization as primarily a phenomenon of the left. So if you go back to, you know, the famous anti-World Trade Organization riots in Seattle, it was against globalization from the perspective of the left. But what is crucial to understand is that it is from the perspective of the right that a lot of these things have taken on enormous contemporary power. Because if you take a look, for instance, at the American right, what you see is an argument that globalization is in fact exactly the thing that is undermining the local identities of specific groups. It's undermining their traditions. It's undermining their controls of their lives in very much the same way that Rita just outlined about certain strands of Pan-Africanism. And therefore, globalization itself is neither inevitable nor good. It is, in fact, the enemy that needs to be opposed. And what they have been very, very successful at doing is mobilizing this image of an enemy that is mobilizing an idea of a global, as we talk about in the article, of a global managerial elite that they can point to and say, these people are the cause of your problem. These people are the reason that you are in a situation in your life that you should not and do not want to be in. And therefore, here's your solution, which is anti-globalism. Since you're doing a class on American foreign policy, I think one can already see this very, very clearly being staked out in the American campaign coming up for this November. And I suspect it's only going to intensify once the COVID thing uh, becomes not the only dominant issue on the news agenda. This is great. Uh, Indeed, I was going to ask you questions about liberal managerialism and a new class of managers and how folks like Trump uh, and Le Pen and others claim to stand up for those uh, left uh, behind. Um, You have three pieces. uh, This is with Jean-François Drolet, whom whom I mentioned just earlier. Uh, One is in International Theory in 2018. One is in International Journal 2019. And then another one in Journal of Political Ideologies 2020. They're all fabulous pieces. Would recommend that students uh, check them out. Um, so what, what, what we're seeing here uh, is, I mean, you, you're trying to get at the, at, the, at, the, at the sociology of this whole thing. Maybe you can say a couple of things about its history. Uh, so where does this talk of liberal managerialism come from? Uh, maybe just a minute or two, if you could just say a few things, please. Sure. Very, very quickly. I mean, the whole idea that, that is that the world underwent an enormous change from the late 19th century through the 20th century, and that the core of that change wasn't sort of geopolitics and great power politics, although that was part of it. It's really the rise of a new form of social power that they call managerialism. That is, that the world is increasingly managed by expert elites. And that this is true in government, it is true in law, it is true in business, that these elites have more in common with each other than they do with the people whom they manage. And that if we want to understand the emergence of an increasingly global system and the way in which states act within that system, what we have to understand is this form of managerial domination and the elites who carry it out. So originally, you find this, in fact, in some of the far left, where it is a criticism, for example, of Stalinism, that basically Stalinism had turned from communism 
picked up and influentially picked up by some of the people who moved from the left to the right in the United States in the immediately pre-World War II era. The most important one here is a guy by the name of James Burnham, who becomes one of the sort of godfathers of the American far right. So, and that then gets picked up all the way through the 1960s and the 70s. It becomes kind of dormant, interestingly, in the heyday of globalization, where people simply think that managerialism is the way that the world is moving. And you can see all kinds of people arguing this. Uh, Thomas Friedman faced it famously back in the old days. I don't know if you guys are reading this, saying the world is flat, right? Managers run everything. Um, with the reactions against globalization in the last 15 years, it has become one way to explain globalization and also to provide certain social groups with tools for attacking it. This is great, which is also why the new right uh, folks, ideologues, their leaders have developed what they call a metapolitical strategy of building alternative networks in education, culture, and social media. All of this is is in the collective discussion. It's it's uh, in your individual and co-authored uh, co pieces. And I encourage uh, students to uh, read this and discuss it on our discussion board. Uh, we went over time. I'm really grateful uh, that you uh, took some um, uh, some time of your day to talk to uh, to talk to me about this. And I, I'm, I'm hoping we'll perhaps get a chance to talk more, but face to face. <laughs> In, in the future. So thank you both. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank bye. you. Thank you. Bye.